Welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting, parenting culture, and the issues that affect us all today. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, I'm going to be joined by Kate Brooks, an amazing author who's written an incredible new book that's just about to come out called Transistor, Raising Twins in a Gender-Bending World. And she's got a lot to say about trans and non-gender conforming kids from a parent's point of view. I think that it's really timely and topical, and I'm so glad we're going to talk about it today. And of course, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week. And I'll be back with Kate jumping right into this discussion after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by the Onward app. If you are recently divorced or separated, like I have been, it is a lot easier, I can promise you, both psychologically and practically, to automate all those child support expenses or bills that need to be split. Ideally, you'd each be billed for half of that Little League fee, school trip, or college tuition, but billing doesn't always work that way. It's one of the reasons I'm really excited about the Onward app. Onward helps co-parents seamlessly share expenses, organize receipts, track where those payments and repayments stand, and who owes what to whom for what so you can get repaid sooner. That really helps keep things a lot more amicable for everyone, and it's better for the kids too. The Onward app can help you save a ton of money too if you ever have the need for expensive attorneys because this way you can manage outstanding payments right through the app. And while it's ideal if both you and your co-parent can download the Onward app and use it together, should they be unable or unwilling, Onward offers a handy invoicing tool for sending shared expenses. You'll even be alerted when they open the invoice so no one can pretend and they didn't see it or it got quote unquote lost in the inbox. Bonus, you can CC your attorney on all kinds of communications should that be helpful to you. It's really the kind of thoughtful feature you hope you don't need, but it does create a paper trail that can come in handy for so many separated and divorced parents, however healthy your co-parenting relationship may be. Sign up now for a 14-day free trial at onwardapp.com. That's O-N-W-A-R-D, onwardapp.com. Totally free, so you can see just how great it is to have that kind of financial independence. That's onwardapp.com to sign up for your free 14-day trial. So let me tell you a little bit about Kate Brooks. She's an award-winning TV reporter and anchor turned producer and filmmaker who's interviewed everyone from Beyonce, uh, I may need another show about that, (laughs) to the late Barbara Walters. She's field produced for the Discovery Channel and she's written for Today.com. She's been an activist since her teenage years and devoted countless hours to all kinds of causes she supports, but it wasn't until realizing she completely botched her own twins' birth announcement that she became active in LGBTQ causes. The story is the focus of Transistor, Raising Twins in a Gender-Bending World, which comes out this August. It's the affirming story of a family in transition. It's raw, it's honest, it's sometimes funny. It's a great account of Kate's journey as her young child grapples with gender identity and becomes her authentic self. I think it's a great read for so many parents for so many reasons. And like I said, I'm just so happy to have you here. Welcome, Kate. It is awesome to be here, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, this is so timely, probably for all the wrong reasons. But I'm really glad you wrote this book. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. And in fact, you know, I was looking at all the people who blurbed it. Great blurbs, by the way. And author A.J. Jacobs had written that the book's message is a universal one and should appeal to all parents whose kids struggle with issues of conformity and individuality. And I just really liked that. Was that your intent when you wrote this? Did you write for all parents? Or were you thinking specifically of parents trying to understand changing gender norms and sexuality? Or was it just kind of your own memoir? No, so first, and great 
question. I started writing just because I felt the need to write. As a writer, producer, sometimes when things strike me a certain way, I just purge and put it all on paper. And then when I started getting the sense that this could be something, a book, I really didn't want it only for parents of trans or gender nonconforming kids. I, I thought it could be good for anyone because, as AJ insinuates, there really is no such thing as a normal family. Mm. And everybody knows somebody who might be a little different, who is outside of, quote unquote, normal conventions. Or you could be an athlete as a parent and hope your kid is going to like baseball and then they end up liking chess and you're like, oh, wow. It could just be anybody, any parent who's raising a kid who just wants to be themselves. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of wanting to create the normal family because I really appreciated your point that one of your needs to write this was you wanted to create the normal family that you didn't feel you had yourself. So how do you define normal or what did you think you were going to be creating in terms of a quote normal family? Well, I was hoping we'd go to a lot less therapy than my family went to. <laughs> and, and that has turned out to not be the case. I think what it comes down to is I really, when I became a mom, I said all I wanted was happy, healthy, kind children. I thought maybe that would lend itself to some normalcy. I was hoping for a stable family, maybe not as many divorces as I was accustomed to growing up, hoping to not have that much or any addiction, just wanted to kind of fly under the radar. And then I realized, I don't know that anybody flies under the radar. And I don't know that there, again, is such a thing as normal. Something can be different, like outside the norm. Abnormal doesn't need to be deviant or something bad. It could just be something a little different. And I think all of us are kind of a little different. So maybe then none of us is normal? Or is that too esoteric? No, I, I think that's a perfect point. And I was actually glad you brought up chess. It's like you're reading through my screen at my questions because I was was thinking of how many parents are upset that their kids don't play soccer or they don't like the music that we liked. Like, what do you mean you hate the Ramones? It's like a personal affront. And so I think those of us who have queer or non-binary or trans or even questioning kids in our families, it can be really hard to adjust, maybe even more than to different hobbies than we had expected. So you had this vision of who this baby would grow up to be. And on top of all these societal issues, there's just this kind of dashing of those hopes and expectations, which isn't a judgment. I think it's reality for a lot of us as we kind of envision who we're giving birth to and what they're going to look like and who they'll go to the prom with and what they'll be wearing there. And then suddenly that's all different. How do you handle that as a parent? You know, I'll be honest, it was hard. A, it was hard. B, it was hard. C, C, A, and B, it was hard. And then it became less hard. I mean, again, I go back to I wanted happy, healthy, kind kids. And it was clear to me that one of my twins who was assigned male at birth and who I figured was a boy because, you know, a kid comes out of your womb and they have a penis, they say boy, you assume, okay, doctor says boy, it's a boy. So we went a couple of years thinking that we had two twin boys, dressed them accordingly. And then, you know, one of my twins started loving pink, purple Barbie dolls, wearing tutus, wearing my shoes, better at hair and makeup as the years went on than I am. And I really went back to, I really wanted this kid to be happy and healthy. And clearly something was going on in that little and beautiful mind at the time I thought of his. And he wasn't comfortable literally or figuratively in his body. And he ultimately knew that he was a she. So as difficult as it might have been for me to accept or to even just contemplate that somebody I thought was a boy is a girl, it becomes easier when you love that person and when you want them to be happy and that you really truly believe that they're becoming their authentic self. It becomes not about you as the parent. It becomes about the kid, which is really probably what it should always be. Do you think some parents see it as a failure on their part of some kind or something they can actually change? Um, I think it's scary. 
scary and not true when parents, well, they can feel any way they want to feel. I don't think parents can change it. I felt guilty, if I'm being honest, Liz. I felt guilty that I had birthed a child whose outsides betrayed her insides. I mean, I still feel sometimes badly that my daughter, now Gabriella, you know, has parts she doesn't like. Mm. I mean, she's 14 years old. She's got boobs and a penis. Not the greatest selling point when you like boys and you're starting to date. So, I mean, I feel bad. And I know it wasn't my fault. You feel all sorts of things as a parent. And mostly, I just feel love and admiration for my kiddo. Although she's 14, so sometimes she drives me bonkers and then I feel annoyed with her. <laughs> she has like a sense of self that I both envy and admire. I'm 52. I don't think I know who I am as well as she knows who she is. So yeah, in the beginning, it was hard. You know, it's kind of like the rug gets swooped out from underneath because you think your life is heading down a certain road and then you're like, U-turn. Eh, and so sometimes you make a U turn. But if the U-turn leads you to someplace fabulous and much happier and much more real and authentic, then it's an okay detour, right? I guess. It's my first car analogy I've ever used. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for her more than anything else. Uh, I mean, that's wonderful. We all want to be supportive and raise happy, healthy children, even if that means something different than what we expected. But I like that you're talking about this notion of making U-turns and identity and knowing who you are or sometimes not. You know, I think part of adolescence in particular is kids trying to figure that out. And in our generation, we like pierced things or tattooed things or listen to different kinds of music. And I think gender and sexuality, fluidity these days for adolescents, because I have teens, I think that's very much a part of their experience. You know, when you're talking about a trans kid, it often appears really early. And every time I hear it's an experiment, it's a phase, it'll pass, I think not always and not often. When did you know that Gideon was not Gideon? I mean, I had inklings at about two two and a half. Wow. I mean, most moms don't walk down the street with their two and a half, three-year-old kid who is assigned male at birth and have the kid pointing to women going, heels, flats, heels, flats. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, which was cute and funny and kind of interesting. But I always got the sense that when Gideon was trying on my clothes or braiding his friend's hair or putting on makeup, that it wasn't just experimentation or he was enjoying doing this. It was actually, he was wishing that he was someone else. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I didn't write this in the book, but when he was young, he was this amazing artist. And I'm using he now for parents who might be wondering, how can she call her he? Historically, at this stage in the game, we thought he was a he, so I'm going to refer to him as he. So when he was little, was the most incredible artist, but always drew like fairies and princesses and gorgeous women. And I realized, wow, this kid is drawing not who he wants to be, who he is. Because I'm one of those people who I don't think being trans is a choice. I think it's who you are. And I do think that these days kids, you know, can dabble in sexuality and gender and experiment a little bit. I got the sense and I knew fairly early on that this was more than experimentation. And of course, I mean, I, I did research. I'm a mom. I'm not an expert in trans issues. I'm an expert at being a mom to one particular trans kid. And she would kind of balk at me being an expert at anything having to do with parenting. But <laughs> research shows that like if your child is insistent, consistent and persistent about their gender identity, then it's likely not a phase. So like if your four year old son wants to wear a dress and says he wants to be a girl once or twice, eh, 
probably not transgender. But if your kid who was assigned male at birth, like mine was, repeatedly insists over the course of months or years that she is a girl, then she probably is transgender. So, I mean, it's three words, insistent, consistent, and persistent. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's awesome that people can kind of try to figure out who they are and, you know, maybe dress different or feel different ways and maybe dabble in different, you know, sexuality. I really, truly believe, Liz, that being trans isn't a choice. And I don't know anyone who's trans who would actually choose it because it's hard. Mm -hmm. My daughter's happy. And it's hard. And sometimes it's scary. I mean, she's 14. She's not worried about the fear factor now. She's not worried about the 555 anti-trans bills that have been proposed so far this year. I am, because I'm her mother. She's more worried about what she's going to wear to school on a Wednesday morning. And we'll get to the bills in a minute. But I think one of the reasons that your story is so fascinating is because you have twins. So your child, who was assigned male at birth, had a twin brother who was also assigned male at birth. And so that's going to affect the sibling, Jacob, in a different way. And you had written about him complaining that there were Barbies left on his bed and it was embarrassing and stories like that. So I'd like to know a little bit more about Jacob or siblings in general. How do you talk to them about this? You know, it was really hard, if I'm being honest. And sometimes it still is. Even before Gideon realized that he was Gabriella. It was hard for Jacob because Jacob was embarrassed that his six or seven year old quote unquote brother, you know, carried around dolls and was wearing a tutu and was super into fashion. He was embarrassed Mm. because he was a young boy who was sometimes being made fun of by some of the other kids. Hey, Jacob, do you like Barbies like your brother? And Jacob's like, I don't like Barbies. And Jacob's like a sports guy. And I think sometimes he was overcompensating to show that he wasn't like Gideon. Uh. And when we finally explained to Jacob that, hey, you know, your brother actually isn't really going to be your brother for much longer, you know, Jacob was confused and didn't really get it, understandably. I mean, we were much older at the time, and my husband and I had a hard time understanding some of it. And, you know, my husband and I felt like, wow, we were getting a child who lives and has the chance to be happy when Gideon became Gabriella. Because statistically, if trans kids aren't affirmed, they obviously face higher suicidality and self-harm rates. We're like, well, we're going to affirm this kid. We're going to have a chance for a happy kid. So yay, we win as parents. Gabriella won because she got to be her authentic self. And Jacob initially was like, I'm getting nothing in this deal. I'm losing a brother. I have to explain that I now have a sister. I have to keep track of her 13 different names before she settles on one. Hmm. And he he was like, ah, Gideon's always going to be my brother, never going to be my sister. And he was angry. That was at eight years old. Fast forward at 14 years old, they actually have a much stronger relationship than they ever had. And that's not in the book. They're super close. Tell each other they love each other all the time. Also tell each other they hate each other all the time because they're 14 <laughs> and they're siblings. And I still think it is difficult for Jacob. I mean, he'll sometimes say, I wish I didn't have a transgender sister. And similarly, Gabriella will sometimes say, I wish I wasn't trans. I wish I was just a normal girl, mm. to which I will respond spot. What is a normal girl? Or why do you feel that way? Because I can't convince her saying to her, Gabriella, you are normal. You're perfect. That's not necessarily helpful. I know that to be the case, but I just try to validate. Wow, that's got to be an awful way to feel. Tell me why. What can we do? You know, because you can't always fix everything. And sometimes people just 
feel how they feel. Sure. And it sounds like as Jacob got older and probably more confident in his own identity and understanding that his sister didn't reflect on him, it became easier to be okay with her identity. Yeah, in a lot of ways it has. And I also think like Jacob's proud of Gabriella. Hmm. Sometimes he's even a little jealous too because she, as I refer to her sense of self, she so knows who she is. And I think that goes a long way, particularly in the adolescent years. She has a ton of friends. She's popular. She's, you know, kind of the life of the party. And she's stealth, but not meaning she doesn't tell people she's trans, although she tells her best friends. And she's really accepted. And I'd say, you know, I mean, the teen years can be tough. And Jacob sees his quote unquote trans sister seemingly having an easier time navigating some, not all social situations than he does. So sometimes he's a little jealous and he's really proud of her and thinks she's super brave. Incredible. I mean, that says a lot about you both as parents and how you're raising your kids that they can get to this point. Plus, I would say if they're liking each other some days and fighting other days, they're pretty normal. Yeah, that's where I will <laughs> use the word normal. That I will call normal. <laughs> You know, I do want to talk briefly about, as you mentioned, these kind of increasing attacks to score political points on trans people and kids in particular, which is disturbing to me. It's ramping up. And I just kind of want your perspective on what you think is going on here and how you're seeing things from your perspective. So I watch a lot of news. I have a news background. And, and one of the commentators said something the other day that I thought was brilliant attacking LGBTQ people, youth issues, it's like political gold. I mean, it makes headlines. It riles people up. It's polarizing. And it's particularly scary because, as I said, there's been 555 anti-trans bills proposed so far in 2023. So it's super scary. And when push comes to shove, Liz, I don't think people care that much about trans people or LGBTQ people or gender nonconforming people. I think it just makes great headlines. And I think that some politicians have been, I hate to say, particularly savvy in using this to rile up their base. And sadly, I think that trans kids mostly are the scapegoats and are on the receiving losing end of what can be deemed political gold. Candidly, I, I just wrote an article about my daughter and my trip to Florida. Oh, recently bless you. we were with nine moms, nine daughters, but it was after the don't say gay or trans bill, but prior to the recent legislation which affects and denies gender affirming care and denies my daughter to use a female restroom in a governor state building or a school if she went to school there. So, you know, I wrote about that and it's frustrating. The reality is when we went to Florida with her friends, she was not concerned about any pending legislation. She was concerned about tanning, swapping clothes with her friends and going to see another friend perform in a ballet, which is why we went to Florida in the first place. Mm. And I will rethink going to Florida in the future because it's scary. And I had a mom I mean, my daughter has been seeing an endocrinologist here because she happens to be on puberty blockers. She started hormones. Not everybody trans does that. She does. That's her choice and our family choice with the help of, you know, obviously a psychiatrist and a gender therapist. And, you know, you can't just go in and get drugs and or puberty blockers or hormones as people who are anti-trans would lead you to believe there's actually a process. Right. Which is also why the bill to block gender affirming care looks like as of yesterday, it was deemed unconstitutional by a federal court. Exactly. Let's, let's hope. Yes. So when things happen in Florida, it makes headlines. What doesn't make headlines? When a mom friend of mine in Florida called me crying a couple of months ago because her daughter 
who is trans and we were put together by people because I'm a networker and I like to talk to other moms and, and dads, et cetera. Her daughter's doctor said he could no longer give her her meds, would no longer treat her trans daughter. And the mom called me. He was like, Kate, what am I supposed to do? My daughter needs these meds. We need to consider treatment. What do I do? And I said, hey, here's the number of my endocrinologist in New York City. Call. Mm. My endocrinologist got them in. And, and they have the means to fly to New York and see said endocrinologist in person. Not everybody has that luxury. No, of, of course not. It's terrifying to think that your kid needs some kind of care that can make a huge difference in their life, their happiness, their well-being, their mental health. And that basically the state is saying they can't do it. Whew, I can go off on a tangent about that for sure. And then commenters will say that I'm really political and I'll be like, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm looking out for kids. And if that's political, so be it. Well, and I think about college, like we're likely going to need to choose a college and it's, you know, four or five years away in hopefully a state that is affirming and or accepting or at least has general rights that will protect my daughter. That's a little bit further down the road. But yeah, so those are the kinds of things that might keep me up at night, although I'm fairly optimistic and I just assume we're going to end up on the right side of history here. Well, you'll be happy to know as someone who's about to send a kid off to college for the first time that schools now are ranked on things like how they are with LGBTQ communities. You can look up and see what kinds of dorms they have and access and how they handle trans kids or non-gender conforming or non-binary kids. So it's increasingly public and there are a lot of options and hopefully you'll be able to make a good choice. But I was thinking about how you were saying that people don't hear all these stories. They hear what the politicians are saying. They hear the scary things. And there was a line in the book that really got to me where you were talking about another mom who recommended a book called Secrets of an Organized Mom. And you kind of quipped on that page <laughs> that what you really wanted to hear was secrets of a mom whose six-year-old wishes he were never born. And I just want to hang that up and post it everywhere all over the <laughs> world. Like that really punched me in the gut because it's one thing when I think people see teens or adults and it's scary to them. But to think that that's what a six-year-old is going through is just awful. And I, I would hope that one thing we can all agree on is like no six-year-old should feel like they shouldn't have been born. Exactly. And thankfully, she realized that she was just kind of born potentially with different external and some internal parts. And that once she realized who she was, this kid loves life more than almost Almost any other kid I know. She is literally the life of the party. And when I look back to when she was six, it was devastating. It was devastating. And that's also kind of how I knew that we were heading towards here. And you read the book, so I'll just say like, we didn't want to lead our kid down any particular path. We didn't want to be the parents who put any firm ideas. Oh, well, you like a tutu, so you must be trans. No, because you can like a tutu and just like a tutu. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, we weren't trying to push our child in another direction. On the other hand, we were almost scared to say that direction even existed just because it's scary. But we're, we were super proud that she figured this out and honestly really grateful that she figured it out at the age she did so that she doesn't have to deal with the struggle of not knowing who she is for the majority of her life. Mm. But, you know, there's two sides of the coin. Some people are like, wow, she's so young. How could she know this so early? It has to be really hard. And some people are like, um, but, but, but if you find out later and you've already gone through puberty and developed as a quote unquote young man and then realize you're trans, you know, it, it's going to be hard no matter what. What? I just am glad her path is her 
her path. For sure. And I've got to say, I'm glad that her parents are you (laughs) and your husband, because I think that makes a world of difference. You know, as I kind of said in the beginning of this episode, I I really think this is a book for all kinds of parents who have kids who may not be exactly what we expected them to be. It's not necessarily just about how to be the parent of a trans kid. But that said, I think for those parents who want to learn more about this, whether they have questions about their own kids or other kids in their lives or their kids' friends, and I will tell you as having high school kids that you will increasingly have kids in your own kids' lives who are not maybe who you expect them to be. And I'm just kind of wondering what are some resources that you really like or you find helpful? Like uh, about a year and a half ago, we interviewed Kristen Russo about her book. This is a book for parents of gay kids. Easy (laughs) to remember. Very good book. It's so funny. It's so smart. What other books, websites, resources, what have you found helpful that we can look at if we are trying to be more open-minded or want to learn more, want to understand a little better what's going on? I mean, I'm in the New York City area, which is amazing for us because there's a plethora of resources here. And we physically were able to go to the Ackerman Institute for the Family and attend a support group for parents. There were support groups for gender nonconforming kids. There were also support groups for siblings, even caregivers. So that in-person support is really fabulous. Not everybody has access to that. So I always say a good place to start, no matter where you are in this country, is kind of threefold. One, you can go online and look at the Trevor Project or PFLAG. Mm -hmm. And both of those sites have kind of expanded from first reaching out to families of lesbian and gay and queer youth and adults to including the trans community as well. And many of the local chapters can help put you in touch with support groups in your area. So, I mean, again, here in New York City, you can find a support group. If you're listening to this and you're in South Dakota, you might not know where to start. If you reach out to the Trevor Project or to PFLAG, they can help you find local resources. Similarly, if you want to even just read more or watch more, Gender Revolution, which was a National Geographic documentary that Katie Couric produced a few years ago, you know, it talks about transgender kids and their identity, and it gives you really, really some insight into the families and kids, and it helps kind of normalize the process and answers a lot of questions for people who know nothing about this. Mm. Also, Growing Up Trans, which was a frontline documentary done years ago. And you can literally look it up online and it's free. If you want to read books about transgender kids or even adults or or young adults, if you go to hopkinsmedicine.org from John Hopkins, they've got a whole list. Just search there for transgender and gender fluid books. They've got a center for transgender and gender expansive health, which goes to my first thing. If you're somewhere also and you don't know where to call, who to call, where to find resources, if you live close to a research hospital, chances are they have resources for you because they probably have a gender department. If not a transgender study department, at least a gender and expansive health department, and they can lead you in the right direction. And I found that in particular, John Hopkins Medicine on their website have a tremendous amount of books for every age group so that if you want more information, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a kid, whoever you are, you will likely find a book that you could enjoy and or learn from. I think that's wonderful. You know, it's interesting because right now I'm listening to the audible version of Adam Grant's Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And I'm on the chapter now about how wonderful it is to admit that we don't know what we don't know and how that just opens up so much ability for us to grow and learn. And he had this great line about how admitting you're wrong is the best thing in the world or admitting you don't know something because it means now you know more than you did yesterday. And I love that. Even when there's things that I don't understand and I definitely don't understand everything about trans kids and gender and sexuality fluidity these days, I'm trying really hard to be open and 
and read and learn and just be empathic, if nothing else, because I think kids' own lived experiences are real and they matter. And as adults, I think the least we can do is, as you said, try to raise more kids to be happy and healthy. Absolutely. And I always say that, well, A, I just want to let you know, I am not an expert. There's so much I need to learn more about the transgender experience. And I make mistakes every day, not just with my trans kid, but my other fabulous rock star kid. And I think that's just parenting in general. We, we <laughs> tend to screw up a lot and need to learn more. But when it comes to trans kids in particular, there's a slogan that I like that the gender Family Project uses routinely, acceptance is protection. If you accept your kid, doesn't mean you have to understand them. Doesn't mean you have to approve because I know everybody wants approval. If you just accept your child, it goes a long way to making them feel better about themselves. And it honestly improves mental health outcomes. And I'm, I'm not a big stat person, but I'm going with a stat here. There was this study conducted in like 2016, Liz, that compared a group of trans kids who were affirmed by their parents and accepted to a group of cisgender kids, you know, just average, your average kids who identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth. And they followed these two groups of kids, accepted trans kids, cisgender kids, and they actually had similar mental health outcomes. Mm -hmm. If you accept your child, affirm your child, use the proper pronouns. If you make a mistake, oops, I made a mistake. Sorry, let's get that right. It goes such a long way. You've heard the statistics. I mean, like more than half of trans males have sadly tried to kill themselves. Almost 30% of transgender girls have tried to harm themselves. When you throw in affirmation and acceptance, those numbers are blown out of the water. If you accept if you acknowledge, if you affirm, your child can be that happy, healthy, and hopefully kind kid that we set out to create in the first place. It really has to do with acceptance and affirmation. But I would opine that it's not just for trans kids. I mean, you might have to affirm your chest-loving kid. You might have to <laughs> affirm your kid who likes something entirely different than you, because I think everybody kind of wants to be accepted. When it comes to trans kids, the stakes are higher. I mean, they statistically are higher. The stakes are more like life and death rather than, oh my God, my mom doesn't like that I play chess. And it's still good practice to just accept your kid. That's it. And as parents, there are plenty of things we have no control over, but accepting your kid, that's one thing that's 100% on us. So I think that's a fantastic reminder. The book is called Transistor, Raising Twins in a Gender-Bending World. It comes out this August 2023. It's by Kate Brooks. You can find her on Facebook or Twitter at Transistor, S-I-S-T-E-R, Transistor Mom or TransistorMom.com. And now, Kate, it's time for Cool Books of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And I can't wait to hear what you have picked this week. Okay, my favorite t-shirts. It was my favorite t-shirt two years ago. It's now my new favorite t-shirt because I've gotten more of them. UBU t-shirts. These are a line of t-shirts that were designed by a friend of mine's daughter who is trans and the mom. There's some little rainbow action going on there. Different styles. If you like the thin fit, if you like the boxy fit, there's multiple styles and logos to choose from. And what it comes down to, you know, obviously we all want our kids to be who they are. So it's just a shirt that says, you be you. You know, I, you're not hurting anybody by being you. Just be you. And the proceeds support LGBTQ youth. Wonderful. Again, a friend of mine and her daughter created this line, a small line with a big meaning, you be you. And no one, I don't even think a politician could argue with that. <laughs> Well, they probably would, they, but they probably. too bad. Well, I'll link that up on our podcast page so we can make sure we are supporting the right and not the knockoff version of a UBU t-shirt so <laughs> that it supports a good cause, including your friend. My pick this week, there's a company, it was started by a former colleague and it's called Presently 
bracelets. It was started by two sisters who both suffer from mental health issues, including OCD and anxiety. What they did was they created these beautiful bracelets with these mantras on them, but it's not like inspirational quote bracelets. It's actually quotes that come from cognitive behavioral therapy and are successful. Things that you would say to yourself over and over when you're having a hard time, like, it's okay to feel how I feel. And you can repeat that over and over to yourself or brave the uncomfortable. There's a lot of them. There's definitely one that connects with you. I'm wearing one right now that says it's okay to feel how I feel. They're so beautiful. I love them. I'm so happy to support them. I keep buying them for gifts. Plus, they donate a small portion of all the proceeds to really good mental health organizations. So it's just a great small business started by two women and the kind of thing I love supporting. It's called presentlybracelets.com and I will link that up on our podcast page as well. You know that I'm now going to go buy one, if not a bunch of those bracelets. Oh, go buy a bunch. They're so great. They have ones that are just little gold chains. They have beaded ones. They have like kind of string bracelets and they're beautiful. I'm telling you, I'm wearing one right now. I'm going to post a picture of it. It's lovely and they make me very happy. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our awesome engineer, John Bowen, and of course, to our fantastic guest, Kate Brooks. If you've got a moment and can leave us a nice review, we'd greatly appreciate your time by doing that and also by subscribing to Spawned. It really helps other listeners like you find us. You can also join us all over the socials if you want to chat about the show topics that you hear about today or any other time, or let us know another topic that you'd like us to cover. We actually do listen. Thank you so much for listening to Spawned. This is Liz. Have a great day. Bye.